Welcome to the Real Time Roots Podcast. I'm your host, Christy L. And I want to say, first of all, Merry Christmas. And this is my co-host, Sarah. Hi, everyone. Merry, 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 Merry Christmas. Today, because this is such a special day, we're going to be talking about something I wouldn't normally talk about. Garden gnomes. And Nisi and Tantum. So wait, we're talking about fairy tale creatures? We're talking about gnomes and leprechauns and trolls and yes, the wee folk. Did you remember to feed the bruni last night? You know, I don't feed the bruni. Do you feed the bruni at your house? No, I have a cat. She keeps the bruni away. So if you have ever misplaced something and said to yourself, I know I left it there. It's gone. I'm sure I left it there. Where did I put that? And then, maybe a week, maybe two months, maybe a year later, you turn around to that place you knew you put it, and there it is. You might have gnomes in your house. Or gremlins. Or Or brownies. brownies. It's pronounced brownies. Only in Scotland. But then it, pronouncing it differently helps me stop thinking that we're talking about gooey chocolate desserts. Right. Brownies, is, it is for you. So, Sarah, did you know that garden gnomes are the number one trend in gardening in 2022? In 2021, they were in the fifth position. So more people are searching for garden gnomes posting garden gnomes on Instagram, looking at garden gnome videos on TikTok. In fact, there's been a 10.8% increase in searches for garden gnomes on Google. And apparently 127,000 Instagram posts about them. That might explain why I keep running into garden gnomes in the stores. And there's been 9 million TikTok views with videos that have been tagged garden gnomes. So the first thing I wanted to know when I saw that was, what is a garden gnome? Well, apparently the gnomes are coming, so we better figure out what they are. A garden gnome is a representation of a house gnome, a nissy, or a tomton, a guardian spirit that was supposedly watching over farms and farm animals. They have an association in fairy tales with dwarves. They're keepers of the earth. They have an affinity to minerals in the earth and especially gold. And they are connected to the Irish leprechaun that guards his pot of gold. And they also have an affinity for deep, dark forests and rich earth. In fact... As in rich gardening dirt. In fact, in the Scandinavian countries... Moms and grandmas used to tell kids they couldn't go out at night because the gnome might take them. Pretty scary. Well, that's better than the kids in Scotland being told that they were going to get taken by the Kelpie if they went down by the lock during the night. Are Kelpies gnomes too? No, they're more of a horse water spirit. Okay, so totally different. Totally different. But still from the land of fairy. Now, interesting, I was doing some research about these garden gnomes, like... Who would have ever thought of putting gnomes in the garden? And actually, it dates all the way back to ancient Rome. 
Um, ancient Rome was the first people that made it a habit of putting decorations in the garden. Um, and they had some pretty grotesque statues that they put in the garden. And they were thought to scare away um, the evil eye or evil spirits from a property. And so they, they were made to look ugly to scare away the evil spirits. And you'll probably notice today most of our garden gnomes are quite pleasant looking, usually smiling. But the original garden gnomes were quite ugly and angry looking because they wanted them to scare away the evil from the house and to bring good luck. Sort of they had two functions. Interestingly, in the 1700s, the wealthy um, elite in England, to prove their wealth, would hire humans, um, usually hermits, to live in their gardens. They called them garden hermits, and they would build a hermitage or a little hut in the garden for these people. And they would tell them to, to entertain their guests. So they, they would either behave like statues hold a statue position and they wouldn't be allowed to talk or sometimes they had to actually entertain and converse depending on the household. He was actually a hired servant and he was a living garden gnome. That would be insane. It, it was. They, they were told that they had to like dress in these um, kind of druid-like costumes with, with the uh, pointy hats and uh, they weren't allowed to shave their beard. It was always a man. That was interesting, too. Up until recently, garden gnomes and gnomes have always been men. There hasn't been any women or female gnomes. Um, they weren't allowed to speak in some cases. There was really rigid rules. And some of these hermits um, or human garden gnomes ran away from their jobs because it was such a harsh living condition. So bringing it up to a little bit closer history... The first statue of a garden gnome was crafted in Germany by Philip Griebel in the mid-1800s. And then these clay gnomes traveled to France, Britain, and other countries. Obviously, humans took them. <laughs> True, they didn't, they didn't go on their own. Today, most garden gnomes are manufactured in Poland and, of course, in China. Now, the, the factory, um, the Griebel factory, actually does still make garden gnomes, but it has a staff of only three people. That was before the pandemic, so I don't know if they're still in operation. Um, the last I read, the current owner, who is four generations from Philip Griebel, was ready to retire and wanted someone to take over the factory. And it didn't look like there was anyone to do that. And so most garden gnomes now are, as Sarah said, made in Poland um, if they're European-made or they're made in China. Now, there was a belief that garden gnomes were guardians over the garden and brought good luck and increased plant growth. It was also thought that garden gnomes protected the garden from evil, as I mentioned already. Now, if you're only familiar with gnomes from popular culture, you might be familiar with the garden gnomes that were encountered in Harry Potter that they had to throw out of the garden because they were digging up the plants. Oh, scary. I guess somebody didn't treat those garden gnomes very well. Because there is a tradition that if you treat the gnome badly, forget to give him his Christmas porridge, for instance, or take for granted the work he's doing for you, then he would bring bad luck to the farm. And dig up and kill the garden. Or the animals on the farm. So that brings us into the Yule Nisi, or the Tantum, or the Christmas gnome. In Sweden, Norway, and Denmark, gnomes have a rich tradition as guardians of the home. And in Scandinavia, the gnomes are the 
gift givers. So they kind of took the place of Santa in the Southern European tradition. Interesting. If you're familiar with the origins of our earliest Christmas cards, you might know that the earliest Christmas cards in Victorian England actually depicted gnomes and the fly agaricus mushroom for some reason. And the fly agaricus mushroom, for those who don't know, is a mushroom with a red cap with white dots. So it kind of looks Christmassy. It definitely looks Christmassy, but it's actually hallucinogenic. So a lot of people are now bringing home gnomes for Christmas, like the, the Yule Nissi, kind of like a, a gnome in the home instead of an elf on the shelf. And at least if you're using the gnome, you don't have to worry about trying to tell your kids that somehow Santa has closed-circuit television. Because he knows if you've been good or bad. Is that why? Yeah. And some parents use the elf on the shelf, claiming it reports back to Santa to help keep their kids in line in December. Now they don't need that because the NSA is keeping track. All I was saying is at least the gnomes don't keep track. They could kidnap your elf on the shelf this year. If you want to get out of that tradition. To, to take a gnome instead of an elf? Yeah, let the gnome kidnap the elf and take its place. Oh, there's a good idea. So a Yulnissi or a Tantum is a diminutive humanoid old man with a gray beard. And generally speaking, they have a grumpy personality. There's a lot of Christmas fairy tales that depict the gnomes and, or Nisi and Tantum as being very, very disliking of injustice. So they'll do things like rob the grumpy old woman and the grumpy old man and feed all of the good Christmas food to the kid who's been kicked out to the barn and hang out with him themselves. You remember those stories. We used to read those stories. You still have the book somewhere. I do have the book. I do. I used to read those even in July. Ah. So there's your connection between the garden gnome and the Christmas Yulnissi or Tantum or the gnome. Now, the mischievous Danish gnome, Nissi, plays pranks on people during Christmas time. He's said to live in the lofts of old farmhouses and wear gray woolen clothes, a red bonnet. Now, we're going to talk a bit about that red bonnet in a few minutes, so keep that in mind. Red stockings and white clogs. Very Christmassy. On Christmas Eve, many Danish families leave some rice pudding or porridge for him so that he is nice to them. And in Denmark uh, last year, the Queen of Denmark, Marguerite, actually has a Facebook post where she was carrying the rice pudding for the Yulnissi up to the loft or the garret of a shed on near the castle. And as she's walking up the stairs carrying the porridge, you can see the castle guards out the window and she leaves the bowl of porridge for the Yule Nissi. So it's a tradition that is carried on even today in Denmark. In Scandinavia, the Pixies, or Nisi, is a household spirit that is responsible for the care and prosperity of a farmer family. In Scotland, the same spirit would be known as a Bruni. A Nisi is usually described as a short man or woman, under four foot tall, wearing a red cap. The Nisi, or gnome, was good to the family if they showed their appreciation by offering porridge with butter. But if they neglected their Nisi, then the gnome might retaliate with ill will and even violence to the livestock or to the farmer. So there's a story where the household gnome, who was supposed to be offered porridge with butter, um, the porridge was poured, then the butter was put on top. That 
the dairy maid decided to trick him um, and play a little joke on him. So she put the butter on the bottom and then poured the porridge on top. And the story goes that the gnome was so angry that the butter was neglected from his porridge that he killed the family cow. And then he ate his porridge and got to the bottom of the bowl and found the butter and realized his mistake. So he went next door and stole the neighbor's cow and brought it to his farm family and left the neighbor's cow with the farm family and took the dead cow and took it to the neighbor. Um, Now, ironically, you would think, well, how could a diminutive little guy lift a cow? Well, they're supposed to be superhuman. They have 10 times the strength of a man. In fact, there's some stories of Nisi on the moor where where a hunter would hunt a caribou. And when he got up to his kill to dress the caribou, he saw in the distance the Nisi carrying the caribou away with his bare hands. Well, that's one strong gnome. Both the garden gnome and the Christmas Nisi wear a red Phrygian-style cap or liberty cap. It's a soft, conical cap with the point bending forward. This cap became a symbol of revolt against the establishment in the French Revolution called Bonnet Rouge. Or Red Hat. Now that's very significant because that Nisi cap, or gnome cap, became a symbol of freedom during the French Revolution. And so even today, when you see, um, you might see the the Liberty girl wearing the Phrygian cap. And so it's, it's so important today when people are fighting for their freedom worldwide to remember that, that in the past, there were symbols of freedom. And in a way, the gnome represents that. And speaking of gnome and freedom, there's actually a group of people that believe that the gnome should be at liberty, that they shouldn't be forced to stand in the gardens taking care of the crop and bringing good luck to the family and scaring away evil because they're not getting paid. They're like slaves. And so this group is called the Garden Gnome Liberation Front, the GGLF. And it's actually an international organization that stands for the liberation of garden gnomes. Now, these so-called liberation groups are kind of like a cult and They might just be practical jokers, but it's hard to tell because they actually can be very violent. Or somebody started it as a practical joke and other people took it out of proportion. Possibly. They are trying to rid the world of the unjust imprisonment of gnomes in the garden. And they've often been cited for illegal conduct, conduct including theft and trespassing. Now, one of these groups kidnap somebody's garden gnome in Victoria, BC, actually, not too far from us. They kidnapped their gnome, I think it was in 2018, and took it all around the world and kept a diary of all the places the gnome had been all over the world. Of course, it was before the pandemic, so gnomes didn't need passports or, you know, the thing. And They kept a diary, and three years, I believe it was, after she lost the gnome, the gnome was returned to her with a diary of all the and photos of all the places the gnome had been. And there are other people that have kidnapped garden gnomes and taken Instagram pictures of different places in the world where they took the gnome. Why don't they just go get their own gnome? I guess that would defeat the purpose because they're pretending that they're liberating these gnomes. So why don't you 
buy a gnome, stick it in someone else's yard, and then pretend you stole it. Because then at least you wouldn't be stealing it from the person who actually wanted it as a garden decoration. Wouldn't that make sense? Totally makes sense. But I think there are people that are thrilled with the whole idea of doing something illegal. Especially something as usually low cost as a garden gnome. So there are actually three different styles of liberating gnomes, if you're interested. The most notorious liberating group is the Front de Liberation des Nains de Jardin. And excuse my French if I didn't pronounce that correctly. They liberate their gnomes by putting them in their natural habitat. That means sticking them in a local forest and putting claim tickets on them. Another notable group, the Movimento Autonomo Per la Liberation del Anime de Gardino smashes them to release the gnome spirit. This group is extremely organized and carries out their work with ease. A locally run grassroots group in Corvales, Oregon, gives the owner of the gnome a letter explaining the cruelty and gives the owner a chance to hand the gnome over. That sounds kind of violent. Liberating the gnome by killing it? Ooh, Shudder. There's also a European gnome sanctuary in Italy. And in that one, gnomes are brought there and they just put them kind of on the garden, in the garden for, or on the lawn for people to see. And you can actually tour it and see the gnomes. Interesting. A separate but related group, Free the Gnomes, is the legitimate political wing of the subversive Garden Gnome Liberation Front. As a political advocacy group, they seek to further the rights of gnomes around the world through legal, nonviolent means. The largest of these groups is the French Mouvement d'Emancipation des Nains de Jardin. The fundamental premise of this group and most garden gnome liberation groups is that gnomes, like humans, have an inalienable right to freedom. These groups claim that forcing gnomes to stand in gardens without just compensation against their free will and for the sake of ornamentation is immoral. The European Gnome Sanctuary in Italy, open since 1999, has been a place of refuge for all freedom-loving gnomes. It's interesting to me how many of these gnome liberation groups are actually French. I think it kind of goes with that red Phrygian cap, the bonnet, bonnet rouge. It also really reminds me of the case in Harry Potter where they were arguing about whether or not to free the house elves and then found out that the house elves didn't want to be freed, except for very certain ones that were in homes that treated them really, really badly. So what's really interesting is this whole kind of archetype of the gnome, right? The elves, the gnomes, the dwarves, sort of a, a house spirit that brings good luck to those who treat it well, but bad luck to those that don't. And to, um, I think what I learned was that this idea goes, is all over the world. There are even people in uh, Mexico that have reported sightings of gnome-like creatures. They call them something different, of course, in Mexico. Um, but small, diminutive, human-like creatures that are protective, um, but also destructive. So does that mean if you had a house where everything kept disappearing, you could try putting out some porridge for the gnome and see if that fixed the problem? Or exorcism might work. <laughs> Either or. After all, technically the fae are spirits. But interesting that, you know, the, the old adage, they walk among us, is, um, I think, here. So when 
when we in North America talk about Santa Claus, we talk about Santa Claus as if, you know, as adults, so we know that Santa doesn't really exist, but, but children, it's okay for children to believe in him. But that isn't the kind of um, ethos that they have in Scandinavia about the, the Tantum or the Nice. It's not a belief that they don't actually exist. There is a belief that, in fact, they do exist, and it's important to be respectful which I find intriguing. And then there is the IKEA commercial that just came out um, that's about no gnomes. And you can look it up on YouTube. Um, it's kind of freaky and a little bit violent where the gnomes try to stop a family from redecorating their outdoor space. And the gnomes start to try to move chairs. And by the end of the film, all the gnomes are broken on the grass. And uh, then you turn around twice and there's a new gnome in the chair that's bigger. And so it's a little bit freaky, a little bit scary. And uh, and Ikea actually got a lot of flack for that. And and part of that is the the whole ethos around uh, the Yule Nisi and having to treat it treat these we folk with respect because they have really big anger so do yule nisi tantoms gnomes brunies leprechauns actually exist i don't know but since a lot of people will leave out cookies for santa you could always leave out porridge for the nisi so if you're listening to this, um, we're actually recording this in November, but if you're listening to this now, it's Christmas Day or later. And so your chance to leave out porridge on Christmas Eve for the Nisi has passed. But it's a fun, the story about the Yule Nisi, those are some fun stories to read to your kids on Christmas Day or some, you know, in the relaxing time between Christmas and New Year's. And so I encourage you to spend some time at your public library get some books out about uh, the Yule Nisi or the Tantum and see how Christmas is celebrated in the Northern European countries. Now, we have a new season coming up for the Real Time Roots podcast. So we hope to meet you next week as we start season four. And in season four, we're going to be talking about roots. We always like to leave you with one positive action. And so today, I encourage you to enjoy your holiday. And if you have a garden gnome, please take a picture and share it with us. And just by sharing it on social media and hashtag joy gnomes, that's joy and gnomes has a silent G in it, G-N-O-M-E-S, hashtag joy gnomes. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. And as always, please like and subscribe. Thanks for joining me today, Sarah. It was fun. Merry Christmas. Bye for now.